I have been searching. Welcome to Following the Fire. Thanks for joining us on this journey through the wilderness. Just like Israel followed the pillar of fire and smoke, we want to take a new look at our beliefs and just follow him. And like Israel, we get it wrong a lot, we get lost a lot, but we're doing our best to, to go where God leads us. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Don't you know it's all I have? Probably none of you need to really hear this episode since I'm guessing you've never had an argument. But in case you think you might find yourself in that situation someday, keep listening. Nathan, a self-appointed expert on arguing, gives us the ABCs of arguments. How to approach them, how to diffuse them, and how to know when to stop pushing and let go. We also talk about true Scotsman, belief versus faith, and how losing on purpose is Christ-like. But you only wanted love. Hey, Steve. Yes, Nathan. I have a, a question for you. Have you ever been in an argument? Never. Me neither. <laughs> you mean today well, or this glad afternoon? glad we got that over with. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah I've, so, I've been in my share of arguments, uh, probably more than I should be or should have been. If you, th- if you think to like work or life or whatever, do you feel like you're in any arguments right now? Oh, yes. Uh, for sure. In work and All life. All right, so yeah. Yeah, in life. Um, so I am coming to you. I'm just going to self-declare myself as an expert. Um, I have siblings, parents. I was on the debate team in high school. Were you? Um, I was on the debate team, yeah. Like the legit, uh, like you went to tournaments and stuff? We got on a bus and argued with people for like credit hours and stuff. Yeah. Wow. I may have even lettered in debate. I didn't get my letter jacket, though. Oh, really? I didn't want to get beat up for having just debate. <laughs> I lettered it, lettered in band and choir and orchestra. So I'm, I'm like, yeah. and I got the letter jacket, and I'm a super nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Still got it, actually, in my my uh, closet. There you go. Yeah, we're we are uh, both the kind of letter jacket that you stuff into a locker. But I never, I never, stuffer. I never did the debate. Yeah, that, that's about. That's maybe as nerdy as you could have gotten in my high school. I don't know. Maybe without being in like a Dungeons and Dragons club or something. Um, but in, in college, I was as part of the honors program and um, started in political science. Plenty of arguing there. I have coworkers. I am married, and I am engaged in politics in my life. Oh, you are an expert. So I am yeah. an expert in arguments. I'm going to claim here that I have never won an argument in my life. What? I don't think I have ever won an argument. Oh, come on. But I'll I'll kind of push that a little bit. So if you think back, not have you ever convinced someone of something or, but if you have been in an argument with someone else where you both disagree with each other on a, on a topic enough to kind of come, come at each other and argue, have you ever, in an argument, gotten the other person to concede your side and say that you're right? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I'd like to think I did, but... But can you think of an example? No, I can't think of an example. I mean, 
I mean, that's, that's I have the plenty goal. of arguments that I feel like I was right at the end. Right. I feel it's like I feel like I won. Yeah, like showed them. Like maybe I scored more points, and so therefore I won. Yeah. But maybe if winning is defined as change the other person's mind, mm-hmm. arguments probably not. Actually, now you say it. I mean, I've had discussions yeah. and like conversations where maybe I changed someone's mind. That's not an argument. Right. So in our combined, let's just make up a number. 70 years of arguing. Okay. Experience. I like when companies do that. 100 combined years of experience. <laughs> um, you have 100 inexperienced people? <laughs> we have potentially, we've possibly never won an argument. Yeah. And the and you kind of already hinted at at what can happen though is, you know, like a when the when the temperature isn't turned up, when when you're just having a discussion, that's it's kind of a different story. But uh, an argument I think there's a an argument by definition is when both people care about what they're talking about. I don't really think you can have a one-sided argument. That's something else. That's a lecture. Yeah. Both people kind of have to care about their sides and be pretty convinced enough to engage with each other. And the natural inclination in an argument is for both people to increase the pressure on each other. So you... The other person's not seeing your side. Yeah. So we we use words f- for argument like a heated argument. That's where both people were, their emotions are coming yeah. out. Or tension. We talk about tension, pressure. Uh, almost like we're imagining this, either this internal feeling or, or like a physical thing that's just growing. The more, the more the argument goes and we don't make ground, we don't move the other person, like we're pushing it's kind of like a pushing match, yeah. tug of war. Mm-hmm. And the more that you get into it, your natural inclination is that you have to increase the intensity. And we have, we'll say things like time to bring out the big guns or um, turn up the heat or keep on the pressure. And we'll even, th- you know, if, if there was a montage for some kid preparing for an argument, he'd maybe go to the library and check out a book. <laughs> You'd see him come with his backpack and slam it on the counter and, and he'd be reading it. Then he'd, you'd see him with like three books now at the library. He'd slam them on the counter. And then the next scene, he'd have 10 books. <laughs> and he'd like, put them on the cal- ca- yeah. counter and, you know, grin at the librarian who like rolls her eyes at humanity. Because we're, we're stocking up information and facts so that we can just like decimate the other side. Oh, yeah. I can see it. And it's like a John Hughes film in my head. Exactly. Yeah, I was thinking of Rocky only. Oh, that'll work. Yeah, I ch- I changed the athleticism into dorkiness. So the you know the you know arguing is where we're 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 trying to get our force our information into someone else or or convince them of something. Well, and to kind of combine a couple of your analogies, the it's like pushing a rope, as they say. I love that. That's one of my... It's like you can push it harder and harder, but not (laughs) a whole lot's going on there, right? Yeah. And the, you know, the, if we both, you know, we're probably filtering some of our memories, but if we look back and say we, when the tension was high and we were in in an argument, we never, ever made ground, but the next argument I'm in, I'm going to just push that rope harder. Yeah. You know, it's so hard to, in an argument, realize... I am not getting anywhere. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of song lyrics because it's, it's like the poetry of our generation. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
you started talking about this immediately. The lyrics to Belief by John Mayer popped in my head. The very okay. first stanza says, Is there anyone who ever remembers changing their mind from the paint on a sign? Is there anyone who really recalls ever breaking rank at all for something someone yelled real loud one time? Ah, oh, exactly. That's exactly what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. So, and the, one of the reasons I, I wanted to talk about this is because I'm completely guilty of it. You know, the reason I was in debate is I wanted to be better at winning these arguments in real life. Yeah. I, I was bad at debate, it turns out, in general. Um, so even when there's a coach, I'm not, I, I don't remember even winning a debate. I probably won, won some debates, but uh, I wasn't good at it. And the, I feel like there are a lot of arguments happening publicly right now. Oh, yeah. Thank you, social media. I hope this isn't just what it's like to be an adult, because I feel like I just became an adult in 2020. But we're talking about, th- there are all these words that just are going to make people squirm. Defund the police, social mm-hmm. justice, Black Lives Matters, vaccines, tolerance, acceptance, theology, uh, religion, um, Afghanistan, wh- whatever the whatever's happening yeah. right now. Or there are Donald Trump. There are camps that are established where we kind of know know the people, where we're going to run into them, what they're going to think on a smattering of topics. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like the arguments. I have been in more arguments recently than I remember being in civilian life. I have witnessed more arguments recently than, than I can remember. Hmm. So I've, I've come up with some self-help tips for myself, advice for people who find themselves in arguments. Good. Cause I mean, arguments are what makes the world go round these days. <laughs> I mean, uh, it is, we wouldn't it, have any media to watch. We wouldn't have any social media to engage in. Right, and it's, uh, I can't remember where I read this, but uh, you can get a dopamine hit, meaning your brain feels happy when you see something controversial or when you get into a heated argument. Yeah. Maybe like the same thing that happens when you eat spicy food. You There's pain, but there's also a, a drug in your brain associated with that pain. Yep. And it will draw you to it. And I've actually felt this because I, I was so fired up during the political U.S. election season. So it gave me a sense of purpose. I had I had all of these real and imaginary enemies to defeat and to ar- convince and to argue with. And then when that was gone, the, the election's over, and then I had a vacuum. I was missing that thing that gave me that spicy feeling. Yeah. Um, and now I, f- I was like, what's my what's my purpose here now? almost addicted to it right yeah it, it really can be addicting yeah. and it is addicting and it sells advertisements which is why fox news or really any cable news station they're going to try to give you some flavor of controversy they'll bring someone on that's controversial to their audience or they will make out outlandish claims they're they're kind of feeding that addiction that that we already have a little bit of an inclination toward so it's good. It's good to know that. It's good to know that getting into arguments kind of gives us a fake sense of purpose, mm. or or feeling like we have an enemy to I don't know convince or defend something against. But also, just I think step one is to realize when you are in, I am in an argument. This is an argument, and 
if Stephen Nathan couldn't win an argument, then I surely can't. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, just kidding. But the but the. <laughs> That my inclination is going to be to turn up the pressure or to give the missing fact or to whatever, to, to ratchet up the heat. But that that never works because it never works for you when someone does that to you yeah. and you disagree with them. So there's a Christ-likeness in that the only way to win is to concede. The only way to live is to die, right? The only way to convince someone of something is to understand yeah, but I don't want to lose. That's the thing. That's the scary thing is that it's it's a pressure match. It's the analogy that we use inside of our heads for an argument is a tug of war or, or that we're pushing each other. And so the idea that giving an inch means that you're gonna they're gonna push you over. You're fighting for something that's righteous and just and important. And so the it's so difficult to get to a place where you realize this is not going to be fruitful Yep. and to let go. So the, um, there's an analogy in one of my favorite books with by Sky Jatani where he steals an analogy from someone else. And I can't remember who that someone else was, but he talks about faith being the act of a trapeze artist, letting go of their rope, knowing that the other catcher is going to catch them at the end of their swing. And so if you think about faith being a letting go, hmm. certainty clings tightly. So people of faith can let go and, and trust that they're going to be okay. But it's, it's actually an um, insecurity that would make you want to cling more tightly. It's insecurity saying, if I give an inch, then, then they're going to take everything from me. So I have I have an ABCs though of of arguments. I had to change the words to make it be ABCs. But <laughs> so the first one I learned from a random Twitter person online, and I have been saying this to myself at work, and also in my interactions online, and it's the hardest one I think. So that is assume positive intent. Oh yes, that's hard sometimes. Uh, it's extremely hard. So assume positive intent means it's a humanizing thing. It's remembering that when someone disagrees with you, even on something that's really, really important to you, maybe racism mm. or, you know, something that has like lives in the, in the balance, like vaccines, or it, it could be anything that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. That's when it's the hardest what you do is you picture that the person pushing against you is evil. Right. Demonize them. And that they have, they have uh, ulterior motives mm -hmm. that they are not being uh, forthcoming about, that they are stupid. Yep. So it's so, so difficult. It's, this is probably the hardest one. It's basically love your enemies, but assume positive intent. Because I this has helped me so much at work. Because when somebody does something at work that that the first thing I think is, what are they trying to do? Or I guess when I when I drop my keys, my family knows this. <laughs> when I lose my keys, I assume that somebody stole them. I assume someone broke into the house and stole them. But <laughs> most people are good 
including people who disagree with you. In fact, most of the people that I'm finding myself in arguments with are strong and sincere believers in Jesus. Yeah. And the first thing that I throw out the window if I'm having an argument is you must not be a real, true, actual, loving believer in Jesus. Right. You know, no true Scotsman um, fallacy. Yes. Can, tell us about the no true Scotsman fallacy. <laughs> Uh, I think you just described it. It's when it's, it's saying it, when you're arguing with somebody or discussing things saying, well, no true Scotsman would do that or no, no real Christian would act that way. And just like blanket right. statement that doesn't really necessarily apply. But by saying it, you are in a way dehumanizing that person saying, well, you're definitely not a true person or a true Christian or whatever it is because XYZ. Yeah, and that's the um the impulse of fundamentalism is to continuously draw your circles smaller and smaller around the correct people. Yeah. And and when you find someone who doesn't fit into that your idea of who you are or who's correct, you just draw them out of the circle. Yeah. And you'll continue doing that. Well, that must, you know, the no true Scotsman is um True Christians wouldn't have stormed the Capitol. Right. Well, there's, they, they think they're real Christians. Or true Christians would not read the Bible this way. Right. And ultimately, you'll keep drawing your circle smaller and smaller until what you're really doing is saying, true Christians are people who are like me. Yeah. And I don't have to, I don't have to engage with someone uh, who disagrees with me, even though all the other signs might be well, man, they seem like they might be a true Christian. Yeah. Well, you know, it's easier to just say, nope, they're not. Yeah. And they're evil. By humanizing them, like you said, with the assuming positive intent, I mean, like rule number one of propaganda in a war is make the other, the other side seem less human. I mean, we like to think that America likes to think that we're all special and, and above it all. But like looking, if you look back at some of the, like the Bugs Bunny cartoons in the forties and like the late thirties, the, the yeah. like the ones that they don't show anymore, <laughs> yeah. the way that they portray uh, Germans, it's, 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 it's offensive. Like it's just pure offensive because they have to right. train everybody, not just the soldiers who are shooting at people, but train the entire populace that these people are bad. They're not human. They're other and that's just such an immediate thing we do without even thinking about it. And I mean, that's where we get all kinds of slurs, racial slurs and things like that is because instead of calling them a human being, I can call them a raghead or something horrible. And right. then, then I can, then that makes it, it makes me feel better about shooting them. And then in an argument, you, you do that kind of thing in your head. And so by you do it in your head yeah. and it makes you feel better about cutting them down on online. Right. Calling them a name or, or, or whatever that, or just discounting them. Right. Un, uncounting them as a person to be reckoned with. And the, this happens too, like collectively. Doesn't matter what, what TV channel you're on. I, do people have TVs and watch TV anymore? I think they, Does that even yeah, happen? my parents do. I think, I think okay. people do. Good. I, it's not like I'm using the, it's like, send the telegram to the, <laughs> I feel like I'm using examples that are already 10 years dated and I don't, I don't 
do that, but I don't watch TV really. But if, you know, Fox News or MSNBC, are those still cha- channels? I don't they, even know. They are, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I have gotten, yeah. So what what you'll see is that people give grace to their side. My guy in the office uh, messes up something. I'm going to come up with a bunch of reasons for that. Oh, here's, you know, here's what's happened. He was taken out of context. You know, that's grace. Yep. The other guy messes up same, same amount. I'm going to say that's the true him coming to the surface Mm -hmm. and is actually planning evil things. And I I will take the, yeah. Or if there's someone, you know, there are people who agree with me who are nuts. They're just, they're out of their minds. Yeah. So I will take those people and be like, well, you know, they, they just got right on accident. I will find the <laughs> best examples of the people who agree with me. But if there is a nutcase who agrees with the other side, then I'm going to bring that out and be like, they're all like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So take the best of myself or the best of my side, the worst of the other side. I assume that my side has positive intent and that, the other side, if they say a good thing, they they actually want something else. You know, you'll see that in ads where they're like, they actually want to destroy America. Right. If there's ever a candidate candidate that says, I want to subvert and destroy America, we should we probably shouldn't elect them. <laughs> it depends who else is running. But <laughs> but what we tend to have are, are are candidates who both say, I love this country, I want to make it better. Yep. Or I want to return it to greatness, whichever direction we want to go forwards or backwards. But they will. Um, but what the other side will say is they actually secretly want to destroy it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So again, assume positive intent addresses all of these things, and it helps you to remember that you're talking to a human mm. on the other side, or a group of humans. That's a the a the ABCs. So okay. assume positive intent. The B, I had to make a choice here, but I said big picture. So really what I would have probably said is step back, but the ASBs wouldn't have been as good. <laughs> so you can't win an argument by escalating. It just makes people angry. You're, you're only winning points for your side or for yeah. yourself at that point. Yeah. So the step back is important. And there's two things in the big picture. One is it's so important to, to view the difference that you have with this person or this group in proportion to the totality. So what I mean by that is if I'm in a church of Christ and I am talking about instruments um, and I've, and I disagree with someone about whether it's proper or not to use instruments in worship, that can feel like, man, we just cannot see eye to eye. The, The chasm between us is vast and wide and deep. Deep and wide. It's deep. Thank you. Um, <laughs> there's a chasm between us, deep and wide. Like <laughs> deep that. and wide. But the. <laughs> but if if my f- coworker who's from India was listening to that conversation, she would say, "I can't even tell the difference between you two. Yeah, I don't see it. Same picture. That's the meme. Yeah. It's the same picture. <laughs> the same picture. You know. They're the same picture." <laughs> You know, the, to view something in proportion, and I, I remember I, I went to school for political science and then didn't finish it for political science, but one of the first things I learned was 
just the like three ways you can compare things. Okay. And we were talking about countries, but it works with everything. And it's so, so good to know this. So you can take two things that are completely different in every way, but have one similarity. And you can, you can juxtapose those mm. like, oh, Afghanistan is not at all like the U.S., but they both have the same dry mountainous terrain as Wyoming. You know, like, okay, what's, what is the same about these two very different things? That was a really bad example. You can take two things that are very, very similar, but have one difference. And you can, um, you can look at that, that like, okay, that can help you to focus on why explaining why did these two things happen or how does this change? So like either by focusing on the similarities or the differences. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So you could say the U S and China both have uh, capitalistic driven market economies, but there's a big difference, which is China is very authoritarianism and the U S is more open marketed. Okay. And then you can use that as a lens to look at something, but you, so when we're talking about arguments, often I think that we find that we're more like the, the two countries that have, a lot of similarities, but one difference. Mm. And what what we're going to talk about, or where we're going to find find the space to argue, is in our differences. That's where we're going to have tension. Right. There's no need to talk about our similarities. It's kind of like the definition of politics I gave uh, a few episodes ago, where things are political if they if a minority disagrees with the majority. Mm. If everybody agrees on something, it's not a political issue. Hmm. Um, it's only a political issue if there's a if there's a um, if there's an argument, which means there's there's certain contexts where we're saying something is political where it wouldn't be otherwise. Okay, yeah, and that's because the, for example, talking about instrumental worship, I, I, this is maybe a stretch of the word political, but in a Church of Christ is a political topic. But if you went to the, the Baptist church saying like, I, th- I think that a piano should be involved in worship would not be a, I guess, a controversial. Statement. Yeah. People would be like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Moving on to the, the nutcase in the back who said that. So anyways, in the, in seeing the big picture helps again, it's a humanizing experience, but uh, it matters to find c- common ground and connection. Hmm. Even and I think it's often possible, even in an argument, to find that. So focus on the big picture. Focus on on the big picture, at least to yourself. Okay. Like I'm, if I'm arguing arguing with you on something, it helps me to realize, like, what am I willing to put on the line to convince you of this thing? Hmm. Because if we have history together and we have common ground, then the answer is like maybe I'm actually okay not even resolving this conflict. Hmm. Maybe I'm fine with that. Yeah. Or how can I use what we have in common to establish some anchors so that this turns into a discussion instead of an argument. And there's also the big picture of time, which is that you can look back on yourself and see the times when you have changed. And so, especially if you're having an argument about something where you have recently changed that, that's where I tend to argue about people the most is this has happened at work. I've, I've done things the same way the whole time I've worked here. I, f- I discover something and I'm like, Oh man, 
So now I go and try to convince everyone else like, hey, you've got to see this. This is this is life changing. It's good to know that I'm operating though with um like I'm a I'm somebody who has changed on this thing. And so that can be a like a humanizing and self humbling thing as I approach a topic. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. All right, so C. So we did A is assume positive intent, B is big picture, C is curiosity. Mm, that yeah, okay. That's important. And I learned this from Ted Lasso. Ah, uh, Ted Lasso. I strongly recommend that you watch that show. Nobody is paying me to say this, but Apple has a I want to say a 7-day free trial, Apple TV. Yeah, I think so. So, I don't know, don't tell me anything. There's a second season of Ted Lasso. I'm waiting for them all to be released. I'm going to oh. use my seven-day free trial, Benjamin seven days, and then I'm going to watch the first season again because it was really good. There's lots of swearing, but that's not why I liked it. <laughs> Anyways, curiosity. So if you know that you don't win arguments, then you might as well enjoy the ride. Hmm. And what I found is, um, and I actually have experimented, and if, if you think that I'm talking about you, I'm not. <laughs> somebody else. If you're listening to this and you think I've been ex- doing experiments on you, um, it's not you. But a, f- a, a few people that, that I know there's this strong tension with, I engaged not out of a sense to convey information like I think they're dumb, send my logos to their brain, and also not to convince them of anything, but with a genuine and sincere curiosity. Hmm. And what I was looking for was, do they have the curiosity back? So Mm. I launched in, happened to be one of those big ticket items that people disagree about. And I said, I noticed you posted this thing. Tell me about it. I, you know, I, and I pushed too. It was, I, I started out pushing a little bit like you do in an argument. Yeah. I put a little bit of pressure on, but I, you know, Tell me about this. And they told me about it. And they they gave me information about what it's like to be on their, you know, how they think. And and then I, I was hoping that they would say, no, you tell me, like, and I'm curious about you, right? And that, that didn't happen. So I asked a couple more questions. I got, I learned some stuff. And they, they didn't ask questions back. And so I didn't, I was like, great, I got I learned some things. Um, I humanized you in my brain by letting you, by just being curious about that. Well, if you if you start or if you include a lot of curiosity in your conversation slash argument, it really diffuses the argument aspect of it. I, I really do think it does it because you, again, it's if arguing is you both pushing, but yeah. then you you transfer to pulling. You're like drawing more, like oh, tell me, tell me more about that. It it relaxes the the conversation, I think. Yeah, I, I honestly, I, I kind of learned this from my therapist recently. Like whenever I'm saying like, oh, you know, explain problem, and she's like, well, I'm curious about this aspect of that, and she doesn't say, you know, I, I told Christina, I said every time she's um she's curious, I hear. I hear her saying to me, you're crazy, (laughs) (laughs) but that's not what she's saying. And, and Christy like, you know, corrected me. She's like, she's actually curious about what's going on in your brain. 
And right. Chrissy told me that she's like, I'm going to try to be more curious when I'm having conversations with people. Because, like you said, you might learn something and it it opens things up as opposed to starting with closed fists. Definitely. And it, it still goes back to that. It's an act of letting go. Faith is letting go. So you have to be, I feel like you have to be pretty confident to approach something with curiosity. Yeah. It's it's like wading into the ocean without a rope or something or without a boat. You, you don't want to get... Um, but what I have experienced is that it's completely safe. And I, I, I want to say it's in, in Ted Lasso where he talks about the connection between curiosity and humility. Hmm. People yeah. who think they have it all figured out are not curious people. So true. Because you have the answers. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't you don't have wonder or, or curiosity about something because you're just waiting for them to download your correctness that you have stored up in your brain curiosity takes a it's a it's an act of humility i think it's, it's the opposite of the, the stereotypical i'm not listening to you i'm reforming my response which is a huge problem when when in any conversation it's i'm, I'm kind of hearing the word like I'm, I'm searching for keywords that you're saying as you're talking but i'm really trying to figure out how to tell you you're wrong regardless of what you're saying and it it does take a lot of openness to to let that to 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 admit that you might and humility to admit that you might learn something regardless of what it is and i i think there is a i do think that the christ model for i don't know if jesus won any arguments hmm i've been i've been doing a thing hmm. recently where i've been um reading through Jesus's interactions with people Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out who were those people, what was the situation and like, what was the outcome? Yeah. And I haven't made it all the way through, so I can't make uh, bold assertions from that. But a lot of times people were amazed at what Jesus said. Often the people who were angry about and didn't like him before left similarly angry and not liking him later. Well, the people who were amazed by what he said often weren't the people who disagreed with him to begin with. They were curious. Yeah, and they, they were weren't curious. even necessarily convinced. They were just like, "Wow, this yeah. take a take a take a load of this guy." And I think that the people he convinced were the people who were curious, who it's like, "What does this guy have to say?" You know, like the like the, the the crowds. And I I would even go further to say that the people that he showed curiosity to. So he was, he lowered himself and spoke to the whatever, Syrophoenician, you know, or the, or sinners and tax collectors, or he called Matthew, mm-hmm. or he, um, you know, called the fishermen. And he, he, he demonstrated actually a, an interest in those people and lowered himself to, to take part in their lives. And those people, those people did change. Yeah. Um, they left their jobs, you know. Um, that's, again, uh, undeveloped theology by Nathan, so that, <laughs> that still has room to, to continue. But I do think that, you know, we are called to be peacemakers. We're, you know, even like if, if you are, what, at the altar? If you're at the temple and you're about to offer a sacrifice and you remember your brother has something against you, 
be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift. Yeah. So there's this, I think there's this call for us to be as far as depends on us, the kind of people who can realize when pushing forward is, is not, is not going to win something. And so now I'm going to start sacrificing. I'm going to, I'm going to let them dominate the discussion because I'm going to be curious or I'm going to, they demonize me. I'm going to humanize them. I think a big part, you know, that has maybe been part of our criticism of the generic stereotypical church of Christ is not leaving any room for being wrong. Hmm. I think that, I think that it's okay to be willing to be wrong. Um, the stakes shouldn't be so high that you can't ever be wrong about something. Yeah. And if you are going to, if you are convinced someone else is wrong and you're going to go address them, I think that you have to start out being willing to admit that you might be wrong or else it's going to be an argument and not a discussion. Yeah. I mean, it kind of makes me wonder, like, as you just, as you just kind of hinted at, um, Growing up, I was always it was so in, in, ingrained in my mind and impressed impressed upon me that you got to be right, you got to be correct and and right and everything. And yeah. so, when you're having these discussions slash arguments that you're trying to diffuse or etc., is there? I mean, maybe it's just the linear thinker in me, but is there a priority list of like a hierarchy of which things I need to give up first. Like right. is, is like, where does like being right come in versus the relationship with the person? I mean, like this, like the, the age old joke that is probably offensive now is about how you only, if you just tell your wife, you, you agree with her all the time, you yeah, know, you can either be right or you can be happy. That's, thank That's you. What people tell thank you when you, you get married. <laughs> all right. You, you got to decide right now: Are you going to be right, or are you going to be happy? Right. Yeah. And and because that's a that's dehumanizing too. By the way, yeah, exactly. It's dehu- It's saying women can't handle. First of all, actually, I, I shouldn't speak to this. I don't know how to be married yet, but <laughs> women can't women can't handle. Um, you know, I don't know what the discussion argument, and, yeah, arguments. discussion, pushback. Well, they're not worth actually having a discussion with. Yeah, and so it's better to just concede everything. That's a kind of um, contempt, in my opinion. Yeah, concede everything. Yes, dear, because I don't care enough about you to to bring it up. But there are times when, as you just said, when you realize that you just need to to back off and can cons- not necessarily. I mean, I I here, I'm, here I am defaulting into win loss terminology. Well, concede is a scary word. Right. Yeah. The, when you yeah. when you back off and you like let's let's just let this go, and you let the person do their thing and just you know kind of smile and nod. There, I think there are times when that's necessary because you realize you're not making any headway, and pushing yeah. is going to make the relationship worse. So, is is relation does relationship always trump being quote unquote right? Or are there times when it does or doesn't? Or, I mean, is it just like a, I don't know. I'm not sure where I'm going with the question, but you, you see what I'm well, saying? Well, the, the question you're you're asking is at the crux of the issue because, um, first of all, you're going to get to an issue where you're like, but 
not this. I can't like this topic is important enough mm-hmm. or they are wrong enough or they're causing damage enough or the stakes are high enough yeah. that it is that defeat, not even defeat, that not winning this is not an option. Right. Must win. Yeah. Must win. Must address this. Even maybe the point isn't to win. The point is to be seen as pushing back. And that's, I I mean, that's something we uh, listeners have asked us, you know, when is it, when does being right actually matter or yeah. what issues, like what, what are the non-negotiables? And one problem with that is that everyone is always going to draw those lines differently because that's like, I don't know if you look at Christian denominations, the whole difference between them is they've prioritized different things. Yeah. So mm-hmm. They're all going to have a thing that's like, nope, this is priority number one. So we're fine with some other stuff, but this thing, no. But I think part of faith is like, what if we don't have to fight and win those battles ourselves? Hmm. What, what if it, you know, thinking about, you know, Martin Luther King, for example. We we read uh, Why We Can't Wait, episode 10. And he is fighting for the justice of causes. It is urgent. He he has cert- certitude in his position, mm-hmm. and he is dealing with people who he doesn't really even have to misjudge their intent. They are they, their intent is for evil, and yet he still, you know, we're told to be innocent as doves, shrewd as snakes. Yep. I don't know what that means, but in this context, I think I do know what it means because what he did was he he didn't just launch into a an ideological battle knowing that his correctness was enough that that's going to take him through to, to victory, to, to the right result. He realized actually that what he needed to do was be strategic and, and know his enemy and, and plan out. All right. How do we, how, how can we be practical about, about, convincing a nation of this thing yeah so what so his so the practical answer to the question is even on the most important issues turning up the temperature blindly just because you are right and saying i will i will concede no ground i think that there is a more uh, practically that's that's even if it is the most important thing to you i still don't think it's the way to to go through you, what you're doing is reinforcing yourself. Right. If you're at that point, are there things worth fighting for? Yeah. And, and arguing for, or standing up for? Yes, definitely. So I'll, I'll draw a picture. I think that it's important, you know, if, if you're doing the ABCs and it's something that's extremely important to you, you're, you're humanizing your, I don't know, your audience and you're, you're looking at the big picture. There's a clear biblical answer to when there is something that is really important and needs to be addressed, where should my criticism be directed first? And the answer is inward. Hmm. Where do I have, like, 007 has license to kill. Where do I have license (laughs) to, like, whatever it takes, cut off the limb, whatever it takes. The answer is myself. Oh, it's the whole log spec thing in the eye, right? Log spec from from the Sermon on the Mount. 
you know, if you if your brother has a speck in his eye, you should take out the log out of your own eye um, first. Right. And that I th- I think that's an extremely biblical principle, and it works uh, individually and collectively. The majority of my criticism criticism should be directed inwardly. Mm-hmm. The the majority when I work for a company and we think about problems, we should be thinking about our problems and solving our problems. And when I'm at a church, if all of our criticism is them, they do this wrong, they are the enemy, they don't have it right, they need to fix themselves, that's all spec pulling, no log pulling, and and there's a pretty clear... So, you know, I'm not answering your question about when is it okay for there to be a topic where you don't do that, but I do know where to start, according to Michael Jackson, with the man in the mirror. Um, but then I do think it's proportional. So if, if I'm in the middle and you start drawing concentric rings, a target shape, well, there are people that I am in intimate relationship with who are Christians, who, um, who I love. Yeah. Not because it's hard, but because it's easy to love. So I have less responsibility for them than I do for me. It's, it's, it starts, it's. It's a lower amount, but I think that's where like, you know, the verse about iron sharpening iron. I think that, I think that there's room for that. But if you're a good blacksmith, you don't destroy the sword that you're trying to sharpen. You don't, you don't as iron sharpens iron until you've got someone that's bitter and angry and defeated. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you know when like it's the metal's too hot to strike and you know when to temper and when to quench or. I'm making up blacksmith. Well, those are now, good. But You're good. I, I did yeah. it. Okay. So, <laughs> so the next step is like my literal brothers and sisters sometimes, or my parents or my wife. And then you can just envision this, you know, then maybe like kind of my fellow Christians that I know. But once you get to acquaintances on this, on the target circle, like I'm like, what am I really s- supposed to do with acquaintances who are wrong about stuff? Yeah. And there are all kinds of caveats there. People are imagining like they are hurting entire races of people in our country. Right. Or I'm not trying to be absolutist about this, but the principle I think is true that in proportion to your intimacy with people, starting with yourself is how much you're allowed to criticize, push, argue, pull. And then once you get to this outer ring that I call the imaginary other, Hmm. Um, the imaginary other is an evil person who uh, who thinks evil thoughts and has secret plans and the power to like change societies. Yeah. And um, you'll see a lot. Of, and I do this too. I'm, I talk about imaginal imaginary others all the time, probably even on this show. <laughs> but if you spend most of your time criticizing imaginary others as a church or as an individual, I think you've got it backwards. Yeah. Well, a lot of that comes to, it, it all comes to down to love in my, in my mind, because if you know somebody who is, believes a certain thing or is a certain way or whatever, I mean, if you're a good person, which I, I really think that most people are good people at heart, then you're going to like, our brains are wired to automatically find the connections. I think we're by default, 
we want to find the similarities to back to your earlier point. It may be, you know, like we may get a dopamine hit off of it, but it's, it's still uncomfortable at least at the beginning to, to just focus on the differences. But when I, when I'm focusing on the similarities and I have this empathy for the, the other, whatever that other may be, that triggers love in you and, and you are more willing to accept the differences and to turn off the argument sooner than later, you know, whereas yeah. before, like if that, I, th- I think this, you know, not to sound like, okay, boomer, but it's like the, the online problem, the, the social media problem. I don't know these people with no faces online. And so they're, they're super other. And so I can treat them any way I want. When I know the person or I understand who the, what kind of person they are, whether race or orientation or whatever, then it's harder for me to demonize them because they, I see myself in them. Yes. Yeah, I, I think that's key to why, you know, Facebook Facebook is so toxic because I, I was listening to the Christianity Today um, panel discussion recently and there were Facebook comments going off on the side. And what I'll do, so I'll start in my outer circle where I should never think or talk or criticize about anyone, which is imaginary others. <laughs> but I have... I have like personas that I've developed of imaginary other. Oh yeah. You know, there's the, you know, that I just love to hate the, the fake people that I yeah, invented. Yeah. Um, Sometimes maybe based on real people. But. <laughs> the, yeah. The, you know, ba- I take my characters, my inspiration is from real life, but then I turn them into a, a caricature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I assume everything about them. You know, it's, this is what stereotyping is and, Here's what'll happen. I've got a well-developed stormer of the capital in my brain. Right. And then somebody's grandma writes something on Facebook that I see. I don't know who this person is. Yeah. She's a daughter. She she's she's widowed. She has three children. She volunteers. I don't know any of that. She writes one sentence. I literally don't know her from Adam. And I'm like, you're the stormer of the capital I've been waiting for. Right. I've been imagining, I've been imagine, uh, fantasizing about you. So now <laughs> I'm going to write my witty response, you know. Yeah, I, I know nothing um, about you, but your your avatar is a red hat. So, you know, end of, end of discussion, I know exactly who you are, right? Yeah. And so it could be like, oops, she forgot the comma. She didn't mean to say it like that. <laughs> Your... And what I do is like <laughs> full, you know, North Korea launch all yeah. the nukes at once. You know, I was ready for this. Um, that's what happens online because I complete it's deep. People say humanizing and dehumanizing and, but it really is. Uh, and this even, you know, sadly online happens to people I know, like I know this person in real life online. I'm like, yeah, you're this, you know, I would never ever ever say a snide comment to this person's face yeah but from i they don't know where i live so from the safety of my basement i will i will take my side and address their their side it's like two imaginary other personas fighting each other not two people who are real people well that even happens with people that we know in real life like you were just saying uh, like I, 
like like my cousin who I know, know does not listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> Good, right. we don't like them anyways. <laughs> we don't like them uh, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know anything about you, but I'm assuming lots of things about you. I mean, I grew up with this person. I've known her my entire life, literally. And when we're in in person, like last time I saw her, we like I to pulled out my guitar. She pulled out her ukulele. We like sang songs together and stuff. And her, you know, her, her kids are like singing with us, and it was a great, great time. And then we get on Facebook, and I make I post something about who knows what, and immediately it blows up into a argument about abortion, and we're sla- we're slamming each other, and I finally just had to unfriend her so I didn't do it anymore. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. it's 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 shocking how I I know all this stuff. I I can it's like I see myself doing it. And I still do it. And it's 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 so tempting to see anybody with a different opinion as the other that needs to be just squashed. Right. And with good reason sometimes though. That that's the that's hardest the problem, part for yeah. me is what about it's easy in theory. I've been using fake examples this whole time. But what about the thing that I actually care about? that maybe impacted me personally yeah. that is damaging the church that is damaging Christ that is damaging people. That's, I don't necessarily have a cookie cutter answer for that, but that's what makes it hard is the justification. Yeah. But I am right. And I'm right in a, in a way that is important to convince other people. Um, I have, I've used this and been accused of spiritual bypassing, which is where you kind of use a, a hallmark churchy phrase to dismiss a difficult, a difficult topic. Mm. Like, why couldn't you be more joyful, Steve, about your dual diagnoses? Oh yeah. Um, That's spiritual bypassing. But so these phrases can certainly be used and abused that way, but we truly are. One of the hardest things about being a Christian is we are called to love our neighbor and then we are also called to love our enemy. Mm-hmm. It's hard enough to love your neighbor. Yeah. Or your brother. Like, if you don't love your brother how can, that you can see, how can you love God that you can't see? Yeah. It's like, well, because God doesn't get on my side of the minivan on road trips. <laughs> and God isn't stubborn. And God doesn't forget my birthday. What do you mean? How can, you know, it's easy. Yeah. It's easy to love something theoretical and far away. It's hard to love something real and and breathing and smelly and present. Yeah. But the call to love your neighbor and to love your enemy, that doesn't make any of these things go away. And it's still, these are weighty things to think about. But they are the sacri- Jesus's example of how to defeat Rome or, you know, the whatever evil thing you can imagine going on, the, the Christ uh, answer to that question is, is death and self-sacrifice. Yeah. It is not ramping up and meeting, you know, war with war and power with power. It's meeting power uh, with a, a bleeding sheep. Well, and that kind of gets me back to my question of when do you, or when, and honestly, if, you ever prioritize being right above, above a, a relationship. And the more I think about it, the, I, I think the answer is you don't. 
you, or you probably should try not to, because if you know back to love, Jesus died for for a relationship. Correct. And he could have he could have argued till he was blue in the face. He could have forced them to believe him. All kinds of options he had, but he yeah. he he said, you know what? Forgive them. I know they're wrong, but forgive them, and I'm going to let this happen because my relationship with them is more important than being quote unquote right. And that that's hard because that means letting really hard. like kind of like you said, uh, faith is kind of opening up your hands and letting go. There's a great quote from Alan Watts that made me uh, just thought of. Um, he said, belief, as I use the word here, is the insistence that the truth is what one would leaf or wish or wish it to be. The believer will open his mind to the truth on the condition that it fits with his preconceived ideas and wishes. Faith, on the other hand, is an unreserved opening of the mind to the truth, whatever it may turn out to be. Faith has no preconceptions. It is a plunge into the unknown. Belief clings, but faith lets go. And I love that because belief is what we tend to argue about. We tend to argue about our beliefs. And we're sure and we're right and we cling to that. We make those beliefs so important that we squish and we squash other people and hurt them. Whereas if we have faith in 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 God in 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 our maybe maybe in faith in our relationship we can open our hands and let that let that happen and and let let happen let, let come what may we at least we still have at least we still have a relationship right yeah yeah i think i think it's a hard thing to accept in reality that maybe we're called truly truly to put people and relationships above being correct. Yeah. But the, I think the, my favorite, I I feel like I refer to this every episode, but the story of the good Samaritan, I think it's all about that. The, Oh yeah. What we want the, we want the question to be, okay, but seriously though, I'll move my hands. You tell me when it's okay that they're this amount of wrong for me to, to get out of a relationship. Now? Is it now? Is it now? Are you serious? Okay, I'm going to start over. I'm, I'm doing memes. <laughs> you must have missed it. <laughs> yeah, you must have missed it. I'm starting over. This is ridiculous. That's what we want. We want like how many times is too many times to forgive someone mm-hmm. that they're just they're just wrong enough or or whatever. And Jesus's answer to that question in the story of the Good Samaritan doesn't actually answer that question. It just puts it. He says, "Okay, imagine that somebody needs help." And the rightest of right person walks by the road. Yeah. And they don't help him. Okay, great. Then another person who's right about everything walks by. Okay, great. They didn't help him either. Now the person who you know has it wrong on every topic. The wrongest You've of wrong. You've got Bible and verse. They're the wrongest of wrong. And you can point, like, you, it's, you know, it's not left up to the imagination. You know all the stuff they're doing wrong. It's in the Bible what they're doing wrong. You know? Yeah. And and then this person helps his neighbor. And then he says, be like that person. <laughs> so I think Jesus' answer is, I would rather you have concern for people 
than to get it all correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the one rule he gave us, right? I mean, the one... It really this is. This one it command is. <laughs> I give you. <laughs> and I think, I wish... Somebody commented to me the, uh, recently how there was a situation that they disagreed with somebody pretty fundamentally on a, on a quote unquote biblical topic. Yeah. And they're like, well, I've got to figure out as regards their relationship. They said, I got to figure out what, what does love look like in this situation? It's like, well, you're asking like your question betrays your, your, the answer in your mind anyway. Yeah. Like, love doesn't change in my mind. I mean, love is love. And just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean you don't you love them differently. I don't know. Yeah, the that's the we run into that a lot because here's what the Pharisees did to the Bible. The Pharisees got the Bible and they tried to understand it and draw the lines around it and and figure it out so they could tell: Am I in it or am I out of it? Yeah. Great. So they did that with the Old Testament. Well, then. And the, and the old commandments, let's say. Well, we're given a new commandment. And the first thing we want to do is be like, yeah, yeah, okay. Love God, love others. Can you, can you give me some boundaries for that? Who is my neighbor? Uh, how many times is, is too much love? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's at the same time too easy and too hard. Yeah, because it's like, wait a minute. You just took the training wheels off and strapped a rocket onto this bike. <laughs> you know, the, give me a, give me some, those boundaries back. And we know that there's, there's complexity to love, but it's got to follow, follow the made up theory. I just came up with a few minutes ago about intimacy. Like you can know how to love your brother. If you know your brother, you put yourself in your brother's mm -hmm. shoes, you know who your brother is. But as you go on down towards your acquaintance, well, love is going to be like, you're not, you don't, you know, the analogies of like how, uh, how parents show the love to children make sense in a complete intimate and complete knowing and complete trusting relationship. Yeah. But you don't discipline strangers. Right. Like discipline is not a form of love to a complete stranger. It only can be if you have enough knowledge and wisdom about your child and not someone else's child, you know, the, um, so the. I think it's just trying to define, uh, well, I understand the impulse, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and the trying to figure out what love looks like, the answer is love looks like Jesus. Mm. The stands that Jesus took, he, he did. He took stands. But ultimately, he sacrificed himself for those people he took those stands against. Yeah. And his his example and his call to Christians is to wash each other's feet and not to, um, it, I think it's easy to imagine when I think about Malachi at school, my son, if he, if I know that he mistreated some kid, but it was because Malachi was right about something, I would instantly be like, it, Malachi, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that they were wrong. It matters how you treat people. It's so easy to understand from that perspective. But now that we're adults, we're like, but now I'm right about an adult thing. <laughs> so, so it matters more. It matters more. And God's like, oh, guys, 
<laughs> Didn't, it's like it's like the you know? it's like the cartoon that the guys the the wife is like, come on to bed, honey. He's like, I can't. Somebody's wrong on the internet. Somebody <laughs> on the internet is wrong. <laughs> yeah, I get that, and I run into people who are wrong in the internet, and I see it as my calling in life. Yeah, it's what is it, Esther or Ruth? Esther. I'm about to misquote Esther. Maybe it is for such a time as this. <laughs> right. I think that's that's Gandalf you're thinking of. No, it's it's Esther and Gandalf. <laughs> yeah. But like, oh, maybe it's I found myself on Reddit at two in the morning for such a time as this to correct that person who was wrong about this thing. Maybe that's what God has called me to, right? Um that's an Esther, right? Am I you know what I'm talking I think, about? I, though. I think so, yeah. It, it yeah. you know, it's also Gandalf, but you know, Tolkien was, Tolkien was yeah. a believer too, so I should have gone with the more manly one. Rats. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, the we have faith. I described faith as letting go, but maybe the thing that can really give you stability and give you that foundation is knowing that God is this trapeze artist that's gonna catch you and that it's gonna be okay, and that God changes people. Yeah. And so the you know, the Lord's Prayer where you say, our father in heaven, I want you to be lifted up. You can mm-hmm. instantly assume I don't need to be the one that's looks right. You know, right. I don't need to be lifted up. Our father in heaven, may you be lifted up. May your will be done includes. I hope that you correct all these idiots on the internet. Right. It all, it means like, I want you to change hearts and minds. May your will be done through me. But also at the end of the prayer, we acknowledge that it's, it's completely by God's power. Yeah. We don't say, may you make your will known to me so that by my power, I might just like brute force it into, into, into happening. And I think we need to realize, remember that it, we're not responsible for making everybody believe the right stuff. I, we get so hung up on that. And I, I used to be me hardcore. Yeah. I felt so responsible, especially doing mission work. I felt so responsible for everyone around me. And, and that, that's just not, it's not, we're just not responsible for all that. God, God has a lot of, a lot of part to play. Yeah. And it, and it should be the majority part. If it's not the majority part, then I might be, I might be doing it wrong. And if anything, it should be by my fruit. And and not, it should be by my fruit that people are slowly that their hearts change. And my fruit is has nothing to do with me. <laughs> the, if there if I am loving God and I have God's spirit, and then God creates fruit in me, it isn't even by anything that I do. But that has been what has convinced me about things when I meet people who just have the clear fruit of the spirit. Yeah. And those people aren't yelling and arguing with me, by the way, you know? So if I, if I want to do the same thing and have my fruit, uh, turn into more fruit in other people's lives, I have to turn myself way down and lower myself until I'm out of the picture. Yeah. It's like back to the inimitable John Mayer, you know, belief is a beautiful armor, but makes for the heaviest sword. That's good. Gotta remember. I, I think we need to remember that, 
you know, even if you don't want to let this person be right that you're arguing with, try to remember, you know, maybe, you know, we say live to die another day. <laughs> let the relationship live to die another day. Because if you kill it now, there's no hope for making any influence on this person at all in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. But if you can focus on dialing down the right, and dialing down that the, my belief is the only belief. Um, I'm not proponent of relativism, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, you're not saying that I believe everything equally. It's But it just, I think that that humility just allows a discussion instead of an argument. Yeah, it's kind of like parenting. When when I was when the kids were younger, I found myself getting frustrated with the fact that they weren't learning fast enough. You know, they weren't maturing quick enough. Like, I told you not to do this, and you did it again. Yeah. And my wife's like, uh, "Hun, they're kids. They're growing. They're learning. <laughs> they're not done cooking yet." Uh, and yeah. I know that I'm not done cooking yet either. And neither are you and neither is anybody on this planet. So some patience and some empathy and some love. That's really, is, I think, that's really good advice. Helpful. Yeah. We're not, we're works in progress. I'm a work in progress. They're a work in progress. Um, they may, yeah. they may be wrong works in progress. Let's be clear. They're, but. they're completely, you know, some art is bad art, Steve. <laughs> I could have done that. <laughs> yeah, you, finished art can be horrible, you know? Just because you're a work in progress doesn't mean you're going anywhere good. I just throw paint on the wall, call it good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the whole thing that I was going to talk about, this whole, in my notes, I never did. Uh, I was going to talk about terminology battles. Should I save it for later or or should I? Uh, yeah, I'll save it for later. I'll save it for later. All right. This is good, man. Yeah. We'll see better and easier in theory than in practice. So we're not going to argue anymore, right? We're we're done with. <laughs> we solved it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find everyone who is convinced that arguing is the way to go, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go at it until they see my point that it's not. I I think it's going to work. Yeah, I've got a lot of I've got a lot of good points. So I'm going to get on uh, Twitter. <laughs> find the most argumentative people and uh and you know convince them twitter is the best place to convince people of things yeah for sure. i've found complete strangers uh that it that it goes really well <laughs> oh man well thanks for the i is really an interesting topic thanks a lot for bringing it up yeah i'm interested ABC. in <laughs> abc's if you were yelling at the podcast at any time uh i want to know i want to know what you were yelling uh, if, if you disagreed with that, that's okay. I want, I'm curious about what you thought. See, I'm already practicing. So <laughs> send us a, send us a, a note, go to followingthefire.com. There's a contact us and you can say specifically at Nathan, cause he was wrong. I have this to say. That's fine. We want to hear from you. All right. Until next time. All right. See you later. See ya. That was fun. These messages I thought you wanted to hear But it only takes a whisper Hey, thanks for listening to Following the Fire. If you'd like to see show notes for this episode, 
which includes links to everything we mentioned as well as all the scriptures, head on over to followingthefire.com and just click on this episode. There's also contact information on the website. Let us know what you think about the show and if you have any suggestions for future topics. Also, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you could. It really helps other folks find the show. And as always, thanks to the fabulous Daniel Wheat for the theme song and the music for the episode. You can find more of his stuff on Apple Music and Spotify. See you later.